This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. September 30th, 2003, Jennifer Short was exhumed for forensic purposes. No one addressed why this was done or what tests were conducted or what the results of those tests were. This is very interesting here, Captain, because we're sitting here in our timeline and we had to go back in time a little bit because we we left off with the 2005 charging of the three men lying to police, lying to law enforcement, getting indictments, getting convictions, and all of those cases. But now here we are back in 2003. We are about 13 months after the homicides took place. And now we're sitting here with the situation where they're exhuming the remains of Jennifer Short. We know that at one time they exhumed the remains of Michael Short. And we get a little bit of clarity and a little bit of reasons why they exhumed Michael's body. But in 2003, we don't get any explanation for why they are exhuming Jennifer Short's body or what tests were conducted or what the results of those tests were. Well, that's been the the way that law enforcement has handled this case from the beginning is very tight lipped and they're not going to give too much away. But very weird, right? We've not seen, I don't believe that we've seen a case where they've exhumed more than one victim. Right. And in such a short period of time, they've exhumed two of the three victims within 13 months of the actual crime itself. Now, let's skip ahead a bit, right? This will lead us to spring of 2005. The Jennifer Renee Short Homicide Abduction Task Force was assembled in 2005. 
with the purpose of reviewing more than 3,000 leads compiled in the case. 3,000 tips, that is. According to the news and record, the task force consists of two FBI agents, two Virginia State Police investigators, two detectives from the Henry County Sheriff's Office, and one from the Rockingham County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina, and an agent with the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. The task force met once a month and initiated a complete review of the case, including re-interviewing some of the people involved. In August of 2007, it was reported in the Martinsville Bulletin that the task force had developed people of interest, according to Henry County Sheriff Lane Perry. He would not elaborate, but did state that Garrison Bowman was not a suspect. The FBI would not go quite that far. This per a statement to uh, a local online news states that investigators aren't going as far as saying he's innocent, but they admit it's time to turn their attention elsewhere. In Mr. Bowman's particular case, he was someone looked at early on in the investigation. The evidence has not panned out to this point that any indictments or arrests are imminent or pending in the foreseeable future. So that's really interesting where you have this guy that there's a lot of people pointing their finger to him. We know that three of them get convicted of lying to police. And it seems like within the task force itself, there's a little bit of a discrepancy as to whether he should still be considered a suspect or not, where we have some people going on record stating he is not a suspect as of 2007. And then others saying, well, we're not willing to say publicly that he is not a suspect at this time. Yeah. There was a major hiccup worth mentioning though, in the course of this investigation. And although the impact, if truly any at all on the short case is absolutely unclear, but we should bring this up. And this took place in November of 2006 when federal investigators charged 13 current and former members of the Henry County Sheriff's Office in a racketeering case, including the sheriff at the time, who we quoted several times, Frank Cassell. There was a 48-count indictment alleging theft of impounded property, using, selling, and distributing ketamine, crack, and marijuana, trafficking in guns, money laundering, and obstruction of justice. This was a huge deal and received national media attention. The Washington Post described the whole mess as the Appalachian version of an HBO drama series. Sounds like a Tuesday to me. (laughs) Let's hope not. Let's hope Tuesdays get better, right, Captain? Sheriff Cassell, disgraced, got eight months in prison for lying to investigators. Cassell's successor, Sheriff Lane Perry, he did not think this endemic corruption in the Henry County Sheriff's Office impacted the short investigation. <laughs> of course it didn't. The FBI no effect on it. Yeah, you know, you sit there and say that, Mr. Perry, and you could be correct, but the problem becomes for us on the outside looking in is twofold. You've not solved the short family murders yet. And you've been very tight-lipped on it. And you're going to tell me that these extracurricular activities that you're doing 
have no effect on your actual performance of your real job. And there's a huge black eye on the sheriff's office because of this, these crimes, basically, that some of their members were committing. The FBI's Roanoke resident agent in charge, Kevin Faust, agreed, though. You know, this is a separate agency agreeing, saying that we don't think that all of this activity of course had did. impacted the short investigation. Uh-huh. But what was their alternative, right? Admit that the embarrassing corruption had blown the investigation yeah. or tainted it, right? So you're obviously going to say, no, the, the most... The most infamous murder investigation that we have in our area was not impacted by these wrongdoings of some of the members of our sheriff's office. What, what's so wrong with telling the truth? Hey, this probably impacted it on some level. We don't know what level. Do we think that now? Look, I would I'd have so much more respect if people would just tell the freaking truth. Did did this have some effect or some impact? Probably. Do we think that the case would be solved if this stuff didn't happen? No. See, if they came out and said that, I'd buy what they're selling a little bit more. Well, of course, this made some people wonder, could there be some kind of scenario where Michael Short or his wife found out that the cops were crooked and then the cops came and shut them up for good? We we need to point out, 100% and be crystal clear here that there is absolutely zero evidence of this. But of course, this kind of malfeasance among law enforcement is always going to stir up these kinds of conspiracy theories. Let's go on to some more positive information in this investigation. And this comes by way of the FBI themselves And this is the course of three years, 2008, 2009, and 2010, when the FBI is releasing information about the Short family murders. So in 2008, the FBI's website on the Short family murders was updated with new information. Authorities had identified a possible vehicle associated with the crime. The FBI was looking for information from the public about an unidentified man seen sitting in a vehicle near the short home along US 220 in Oak Level on the morning of the murders. Also, the website indicated that the investigation had uncovered that Michael Short was trying to get a job as a mobile home mover in South Carolina at the time of the murders. They were looking to make contact with any people who had contact with Michael Short regarding this relocation. Right. Apparently, these revelations did not yield sufficient information because in February of 2009, the FBI updated the website to release a sketch of a flatbed truck that was seen parked near the Short home in the early hours the day of the murder. The vehicle was described as a 1998 to 2002 white single cab, two ton flatbed stake body truck with wooden rails. The cab of the unknown vehicle was believed to be similar in appearance to a 4500 series international truck. The next month in March of 2009, the FBI took the additional step of releasing a sketch of the man seen in the flatbed truck near the short house. 
He was described as a man in his 40s with a weathered complexion. So just to make sure I'm picking up what you're putting down, it seems like law enforcement is saying, hey, maybe him trying to move and make a transition in his life, he maybe came across somebody that would want to do him harm? Possibly. I think they're trying to cast a wider net here, but obviously you look at this situation and you see information trickling out from the FBI. And the first thing you wonder is 2008 is when we get some newly updated information on the FBI's website and we go, okay, well, what took, you know, what on earth took so long? Five years or so to release this information in the sketches? They were selling illegal firearms and and drugs. Well, well, not the FBI. This is information from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I'm sure they're doing it too. it's not very encouraging to the investigation. Right. And again, this is what I just don't understand. And I will never, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to understand this. Math. 2008 is when they say, hey, we're updating this and we, we're looking for information from the public about an unidentified man and an unidentified vehicle seen near the short home on the morning of the murders. Yeah, well, why, why didn't this come out five years prior? Not only that, why didn't that come out five years prior? Why did then they wait till February of 2009 to go, okay, well, here's a sketch to go along with that information that we released last year. Wow. Right? And then, oh... Nothing comes of that. So in in March, let's release a sketch of the man now. We released a sketch of the vehicle. Now we're going to release a sketch of the man. It just seems like... Seems like their heads are shoved up their own asses. Look, I can get it. I get it from a, uh, a what had corruption. You know, we have a sheriff's office that has corruption mm-hmm. in their office at the time. We know this based off of the arrest and the charges that stemmed from that investigation of corruption within the sheriff's office. It almost appears too that the FBI in this situation is kind of like figuring things out as they go. And I know that that's how an investigation works. You figure things out as the evidence, as you uncover evidence. No duh. However, they're making statements to the public asking for help and not really releasing all of the information that they believe that they have at the time. Because they're jackasses. It seems very odd. It just it, it, it seems like they don't really have a leader or a direction for this investigation. And again, that's not very encouraging, seeing that we're looking at this thing at our timeline. We are now seven, eight, nine years into this timeline and it seems or would appear as though that the investigation has no real direction. Well, again, maybe because of the corruption, maybe the FBI at this point said, Hey, look, there was some stuff that we wanted law enforcement to put out and they didn't want to, and and they were the lead. So we let that not happen. We let them stay tight lipped. But once this corruption came out, we felt it a, it was our duty to put this information out. And that would at least explain the lazy timeline. One good thing for the case is we know that it was featured on America's Most Wanted twice. So that's always a good thing for a case. Usually when you have a case that needs to drum up possible tips and information. Now, one thing that was revealed 
during the course of one of the America's Most Wanted episodes. One of the episodes was the source of the information that authorities had fingerprints and hair that they recovered from the murder scene. That's kind of the genesis of that information, which is good information in this case, positive information for the investigation. Now back to the FBI's website updates. Investigators of the Jennifer Renee Short Homicide Abduction Task Force, this is a statement that they released to the public, are seeking information from general contractors, independent contractors, construction companies, mobile home dealers, mobile home parts suppliers, mobile home transporters, or mobile home salvage yard owners who conducted business with Michael W. Short or MS Mobile Home Movers between January 1, 2001 and August 15, 2002. Investigators are seeking information regarding the identities and locations of individuals who worked with Michael W. Short or his company, MS Mobile Home Movers, on a weekly or day-to-day basis to include migrant workers. Some of these individuals may have worked solely on a cash basis. They are also interviewing anyone who utilized Michael Short's mobile home moving business, and they are attempting to identify any person or persons who saw or was in contact with Mary or Michael Short between August 1st, 2002 and August 14th, 2002. This all seems and sounds very broad and shows that even years after the crime, they are pretty much clueless about where to start in their investigation. Even so, now looking at it through new eyes, through this new task force. But the scope of the investigation was even broader. Per the FBI's website, several years prior to their deaths, Michael and Mary operated a business moving mobile homes. At the time of their deaths, the Shorts were considering moving to South Carolina. As a result, during the spring and summer of 2002, Michael Short made several trips to areas in South Carolina surrounding the following cities, Bennettsville, Florence, Conway, and Myrtle Beach to seek employment. Investigators from the Jennifer Renee Short Homicide Abduction Task Force will be conducting interviews from May 17th to May 20th, 2010 in the following South Carolina cities, and it lists the same cities that they list earlier. So the investigators traveled to all of these areas, and they put it out there in advance before going there. Hey, if you spoke to Michael Short or you have anything to do with this investigation or his business or the family relocating, if you might have any information at all, you can meet us in one of these cities on those dates and speak with us, mm. which seems like a desperate move. It also seems like a, a reasonably smart move to me, though, too. But again, you know, I don't know. It, it really feels like they're kind of fishing for something, anything at this point in their investigation. But you got to give them kudos for covering all bases and not giving up on this investigation. And then in a very strange turn of events here, Captain, this brings us to February 20th of 2019, when the home that the Shorts were killed in burned down, even though it was vacant at the time. 
Investigators say that they do not believe that there is a connection between the fire and the murders. Keep in mind, it's 17 years after the fact. But note that years earlier, the home owned by Gary Lemons, remember, he's the man that rented to Garrison Bowman and accused Garrison Bowman in the murders. Gary Lemons, Rockingham County home also burned down. There are those out there who believe that arsonists may have had some kind of motivation to try to hide evidence in the short family murders case. Now, I'm going to be frank. It seems like quite a stretch, uh, a very big stretch at that since it was so long after the murders. But that theory is out there. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get 
their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, to the windows, to the walls. Crispy Frank just doesn't sound as good. Cheers, Captain. As All crispy right. Colonel. We talked about a theory being out there. That leads us to the theories section of this week's show. So let's talk about some of the theories. All sources and investigators seem to agree that the Short family was completely normal, no drama, no issues, no secrets. They almost certainly would have been uncovered, you would hope, in the two decades since they were killed, if they had any issues, drama, or secrets. It sounds like they minded their own business, that they kept to themselves, and had no known enemies. There is simply no apparent motivation for the murders, so who killed them and why? The first theory would be that Jennifer, who was abducted, that she was actually the target all along. This is really interesting, and it's an interesting bit from the FBI's website showing that one angle of the investigation 
that was still being pursued even to this day is that Jennifer was the target. And it states, investigators are attempting to identify any person or persons who had contact or was in contact with Jennifer Renee Short between June 1, 2002 and August 14th, 2002. For instance, there may be a coach, teacher, friend, parent, or neighbor who was in contact with Jennifer through such events and or activities as softball, dance, church, birthday parties, etc. Anyone who had such contact with Jennifer Short during this time period is requested to notify or re-notify investigators on the FBI tip line at 1-800-225-5324. Doesn't this seem like a completely different angle they're going in as far as the investigation is concerned? It seems like a, a different angle, yes. I don't know about completely different, and I don't think that they had ruled out the possibility of it being related to Michael, Mary, or Jennifer at any point. And right. you're right, though. It, at different times of this investigation over the course of the last 20 years, it appears like it was going in different directions, right? They honed in on Mary for a little bit. They honed in on victim Michael for a little bit. And then victim Jennifer is the one that seems to be sticking. Well, in, in regard to this theory, it would have to stick because that's what this whole theory is based around. Now, mm -hmm. expanding on this theory a little bit, you can go back to August of 2015 when Henry County Sheriff Lane Perry announced that the motive, in his opinion, for the short parent murder may have been the abduction of nine-year-old Jennifer. He says, as we saw... He called on her friends from school and her softball team to see if they remembered anyone Jennifer might have mentioned. He was quoted on Fox 8 News saying, was it a sexual predator that Jennifer was the target of the crime? And we do believe the house, the way what did happen around the home and the cutting of the phone lines and the things, I do think this is a person that could have been watching for some time. And it is possible they were watching for patterns in behavior. Some online sleuths posit that someone could have seen Jennifer at the Circle convenience store and watched her walk to her home a couple of hundreds, hundred of yards away. The planning, the, the very quick style of the attack, the not taking of the bag of cash, the check, credit cards, purse, any of those things that we know were left behind. So that points away from robbery and points toward a targeted goal. So perhaps Jennifer was the target all along. Shooting her parents was just a quick way to eliminate the obstacle they presented. And this does remind you this should remind our listeners of the Jamie Kloss case, right? In which the perpetrator shot down the front door in the middle of the night, blasted Jamie's parents before abducting her. Right. And we know that Jamie Kloss's abductor simply saw her getting off of a school bus. So is there a chance that maybe somebody saw Jennifer at that convenience store or saw her walking up to her home one day and that this abduction and these two murders that went along with the abduction 
were just that random. So theory number two is that somebody had a score to settle with Michael Short, the father, had revenge against the father. And again, until this case is solved and until we understand what motivated these murders and the abduction, all of these theories do seem plausible. And we, this is all something, you know, when you look at this investigation, you kind of see the dog chasing its tail. Right where you where one theory seems to be something that they're honing in on and focusing in on for a period of time, and when that doesn't pan out, then they circle back to a previous theory, and so this is one of those theories that has kind of come in and out of the limelight the whole time of this investigation. So based on all of the information qu- requested by the FBI's website, the agency seems to have not ruled out the possibility that Michael's business contacts are somehow connected to the murders. Now, some people have pointed out that the mobile home moving business is tough and attracts unsavory, shady transient types who could have nefarious motives. Maybe someone had an issue with Michael, but then of course you wonder, well, why take the kid? Why kill Jennifer? Why kill Mary? It's believed that the parents were killed in their sleep. So Jennifer wasn't taken as some kind of message to the shorts. We know that they were killed before she was taken. So I don't know. It's, it's certainly a possibility. And I think that it's obvious that the FBI has not ruled that out. And so we should keep it as a consideration when, when looking at this case. Here's a weird one. Yeah, but a it's weird one. A theory that's certainly out there and should be out there. <laughs> okay. So the way that theory number three goes, we'll just call this theory Joseph Duncan. Oh, Joseph Duncan, that piece of shit. Joseph Duncan, who longtime listeners of this show will know that I've said repeatedly is one of the most evil persons we've ever discussed. He likes to come up often on True Crime Garage, and so he's he's so evil that in fact. The captain and I threw a little party on off the record when he died in prison. That's to show you how evil we are. We don't throw parties very often <laughs> for any reason at all. Now, Joseph Duncan, unfortunately, is a favorite suspect for the short family murders on several websites. This is primarily because of the modus operandi that he used that is so similar to what may have happened here in the short family case. Right. Right. So Joseph Duncan, what we know that he did, we absolutely, he was convicted in a federal court of law of this. Okay. He, we know that he broke into a home, the home of the Gronies. He broke into the Grony home. Chabroni. Murdered what he would have perceived to have been obstacles. That would be the parents, Brenda Grony and Mark McKenzie and 13-year-old Slade, who was one of the kids, and then kidnapped the two younger kids, Shasta and Dylan. He later murdered Dylan by shooting him in the head, mm-hmm. just like one of our vict- all three of our victims here. Right. Just like Jennifer died by being shot in the head. So the question is, where was Joseph Duncan in the summer of 2002? Well, there were portions of that year that we believe he was roaming the country, According to darkideas.net, he used Minnesota and North Dakota as home bases and had no known ties to Virginia, where our crime took place. But he turned up in Idaho when he carried out the 
Grony abduction, even though he had no connections known to there either. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It seems like a stretch, seems unlikely. But according to several online sources, Duncan had a good friend that he visited in Florida, and he was known to roam far distances in search of prey. We know that based off of his other crimes, his other murders. So Duncan would seem like a good suspect given his known modus operandi and targeting of children. But if it's true that authorities have DNA, hair, and prints and evidence, that would seem to rule him out, right? We know that he was in their custody up until the time of his death. And so while we cannot say for certain that Joseph Duncan was either in or not in Virginia in 2002, it seems like if he would have left any physical evidence at the crime scene, that they would have by now linked him to this triple homicide. Yeah, which makes, let's just stay on that point for one second. If they have DNA, at this point, it has not been matched with anybody because we would have our arrest. Yeah. So it almost seems like the person that committed these crimes has just never committed another crime or never been caught for another crime. Or remains unidentified in those crimes that they committed. Right. Theory number four... Well, that it could have been Garrison Bowman all along. He was the suspect that we discussed the most. He was the one that was pointed out by his landlord to law enforcement. Now we know that three men came forward and said, we think we saw him fleeing the crime scene. Oh, boom. They're convicted of lying to the police. Mm -hmm. So we've discussed this at length and what evidence pointed to him being the killer. And the problem, though, is that a grand jury decided that there really wasn't a whole lot of evidence to pointing to him being the killer at the end of the day because they decided not to charge him in the case. Now, by all reports, Bowman was a drunk who would not have been, this is kind of the general perception, would not have been savvy enough to eliminate all evidence. He would have left clear-cut signs of himself at the murder scene or on the victim's. There is zero indication from people who knew him that he was interested in children at all or that he was violent at all. The only evidence is the odd timing of his departure for Canada and the unexplained map that we had mentioned. And it seems like that's kind of it. I don't really think that he is the guy. And I I do want to make sure that I point out some of this other information here before we move off of Garrison Bowman. The way that I look at this and the way that I see things here, Captain, it looks to me that evidence against Bowman just wasn't there. Now, per the news and record, this is from an old newspaper article, and it states, quote, Detectives say they have not linked Bowman with the shorts, neither through business or personal contacts, nor through forensics test. Bowman told that media outlet in 2004, this will hang over me for the rest of my life unless they find the person who did it. Unfortunately, Garrison Bowman was right. He died in 2014 with his name forever linked to the Short family murders. To this very day, 20 years after the Short family was killed, 
many in the area still believe that he may be responsible. And this is my problem with law enforcement sometimes in these cases is when it's too tight lipped, right? They might have information like let's say they have Michael's phone records for his business and there is no contact between him and this individual. There's, there's no, there is no known record of having any contact with his business and this individual. If, if that's true and law enforcement can tell you that, or they can go, look, we looked into this guy over and over. And what, what we come to find over and over is that we don't believe this guy is connected. Then people could, could move on to other theories and spend time on other theories. There are a couple of theories that are not so out there, like the four that we just went through. Those four are by far the most popular theories. But a couple of thoughts that I have before we move on to some more recent movement in this case, if you want to call it that, would be a couple of ideas of people that we do know that are either close to the case or somehow injected themselves into the investigation itself. So one, this Timothy Sampson, remember he's one of the three that was charged with lying to police. He is one that was charged with threatening the lives of two of the investigators that worked this triple homicide. The thought is that he wanted to claim, he and his friend wanted to claim the reward money that was out there. Now, look, this guy. It, it, this guy. This guy. Sharpest tool in the shed? No. No. No, not this guy. No. Playing with the full deck? No, not no. this guy. Does that elevator go all the way up, Captain? No, not this guy. Elevator's broken, out of order, my friends. This guy... Smells like turds. Think about his scenario. Mm -hmm. He and his idiot friends devise this plan of, well, we were going to burglarize some places out in the, that area that night, and we just so happened to hear two gunshots come from the crime scene, and we saw a man who looked like Honest Abe Lincoln fleeing the scene child and gun in hand. Oh, now I see a picture of Garrison Bowman. That's the honest Abe that I was talking about. Now give me that reward money. Well, wait a second here, Timothy Sampson. Cha-ching. I'd, I'd say dumbass, but mm, dumbass. as the commercial says, it's Dumas. It's Dumas. This guy. How does he think he's going to get any of this reward money? Gary Lemons is the one that told police about Garrison Bowman to begin with. And then you have to wonder when they're cooling on Gary Lemons accusations against Garrison Bowman. Did he somehow get in cahoots with these other three guys to come up with? Well, now we need a witness to kind of seal the deal here. Maybe we can split up some of this money. I don't know. I look at it and I see, I don't know how he thought he was going to be getting the money. Uh, you want to say, like you said earlier, that you would hope that good people, good, honest people are coming forward because you want to believe eyewitnesses, especially when we're talking about homicide. But then we learn that these guys lied to police so much so that they were convicted 
of doing so. The other thing, too, with this Timothy Sampson is, and I, I can't figure out how this thing ended up shaking out, but at one point he was charged with being involved in the disappearance of a Don Inez Phillips, age 28. So she disappears. He, mm-hmm. She lives with Timothy Sampson and disappears the day after Christmas in the year 2000. In the year 2000. He tells police she went out to buy drugs, never came back. They eventually charge him with being involved with her disappearance in some form or fashion, but he's not charged with this until 2004. This is after he's all wrapped up in this lying to police about the short family murders case. So this dude is not a good dude. He doesn't make good decisions. Is he responsible for this Don Phillips and what happened, whatever happened to her? We don't know because there's no conviction for that. But we do know that several newspapers reported him being arrested and charged with some kind of involvement in her disappearance. Then that leads us back to Chris Thompson, the man who found his employer, Michael Short, dead on the couch in the garage. I remember, he was there the night before. He was there the night before. This is, look, this guy could be a saint for all we know. We do know, in Chris Thompson's defense, police have been vocal. They've not been vocal about a whole lot of things in this case, but one thing that they've been clear about to the media is Chris Thompson's been very cooperative. We've spoke with him on many occasions about the case, and he is a witness. He's a person that can provide information to the police and to their investigation. They've never considered him to be or publicly stated for him to be a suspect or even a person of interest. Again, another, again, I think sometimes law enforcement needs to go. If if we have all these suspects coming up in the public's eyes, that maybe we need to clear some of them or, or, or at least to say this person is, uh, not a person of interest. So I've read two different accounts of the night before. Now I cannot say, I want to be clear here. I cannot say that Chris Thompson's story doesn't match up, that he has a different version of what went down. Mm -hmm. All I can say is that there were two versions reported and they're very short. And I, and I, and I'm a little ticked off that they are so short because Captain's pointed this out. Everybody knows out there that the devil is in the details. What we need here in Chris Thompson's story is the details. Because one report that I read was that he stated that he worked with Michael Short until late. And that when he left, he presumed that they would be going to bed shortly afterwards. And that Jennifer Short was already in bed when he left. The other version of that story is that the family went to Burger King, came home, and then after they got back, it's thought that they went to bed. Right. What we need to know, those two those two stories sound very different. Both of them could be absolutely true if we had all of the details, right? Is there a version where Chris Thompson says, I went with the family to Burger King, or only a portion of the family went to Burger King to pick up food for the rest of us, and when they got back, I left after they had returned, you know, there's any number of ways that both of those stories could be true. The problem though, is what are the details fill in the blanks of that story? Because 
if he says that he left the house and Jennifer Short is already in bed, yeah, she could have got up. Yeah, they could have woke her up and taken her to Burger King. Doesn't, Doesn't seem, seem very likely yeah. with, right? With her being nine years old. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't seem likely, but, but but also there. But at nine, there's <sighs> she's out of school for the summertime. See, I could see somebody going, "Hey, I'm going to run to Burger King really quick. You guys stay here." But I don't see both of the parents jumping in a car and leaving her in her bed. So no, make a lot of sense. And again, we need more details of that Burger King version of the story, right? Does somebody see all three family members? Does somebody see all three family members plus an extra person with them, which could be Chris Thompson riding along? Do they only see two of the family members? You, you see what I'm getting at? They're, right. We need more details of that night. I think that, that therein lies a big problem with the, this case, as far as the public anyway, looking at it and questioning, and rightfully so questioning law enforcement as to why they've not solved this case. And you talk about moving on from somebody. Look, again, Chris Thompson could be an absolute saint for all we know. The person that we know that is not a saint is Timothy Sampson. He lied to police. He threatened law enforcement with their lives. He is believed to be somehow involved in the disappearance of Don Phillips. This person is not a saint. And I would be really curious. I'm, I'm, I'm really suspicious of this individual who is pointing the finger at somebody else. And he seems to be all wrapped up into criminal activity. I just feel like this has, when you bring up Joseph Duncan, that this just has a lot of similarities and, and not saying that he's involved, but just this idea that this person would know that this nine year old was there. They abducted her. They abducted her for a reason. I think that's the cause of her parents being killed. It's so that they could abduct her and move her to a different location. And, and, and who knows how long she was there for. That's what my gut feeling um, tells me. And, and I think you were bringing up the point, you know, it could be somebody that saw her, you know, playing a, a sport somebody that met her through school. Um, but I think this was very calculated, especially with, I think there was a taunting, uh, and that was, that's what the message was, but also the, the cutting of the phone lines. I think this was very calculated. And we, we have you know almost zero physical evidence that we know of. I mean, they've stated that there's some items that they're testing, but we don't know if that has come back conclusive that it's the perpetrator, you could find hair on the, uh, the husband or hair on the wife. And then later on, find out that they're at their friend's house and it's some dog hair or whatever. So I just, I think this leans towards, and this is a, a scary crime. It, it, it leans towards the idea that they were targeting the nine year old. They're, targeting jennifer i agree with that and i'm going to base that simply off of the idea that that i'm so smart yes mm. case closed case closed but let's go back to the other ideas the jamie claus case and the yes joseph duncan the grony family case in both of those cases very weird scenarios where people are murdered at the scene 
there's some type of break-in into the home and then the younger the youngest child or the child is abducted in both of those scenarios those are incredibly rare crimes just like this short family case that we're working on here and in both of those cases it was a perfect stranger it was somebody that didn't know the family at all but but for whatever reason locked in on one of the kids they were targeted and then the perpetrator watched the home for a bit of time before making his move. Right. And I almost feel like cutting the phone lines is indicative of a person watching the home before they make their move. I hate to say this, but I agree with you. In October of 2021, so less than a year ago, and here we sit now, Captain, almost 20 years to the day that the Short family was killed. I'm hoping and praying that we receive some kind of update, some kind of movement, some kind of proof that today the case is still very active and heading in the right direction finally once we get to this 20th anniversary of such a dark day. But less than a year ago, in October of 2021, the Henry County Sheriff Lane Perry held a press conference about a new multi-jurisdictional task force he had convened earlier in the year to reopen the short case. Making up the new investigative team, he said, is the Henry County Sheriff's Office, the Rockingham County Sheriff's Office, the Virginia State Police, and a federal officer. They intend to re-examine all the evidence and the case from start and will make use of any new technology and testing that is now available. At the presser, Sheriff Perry seemed to imply that they have DNA evidence by saying that they need to sit down and evaluate new testing methods and see whether they have evidence that might be suitable. I'm going to break in with my own little thought here for a second, Captain, before finishing up this information that was released in this presser. But going back to the exhumation of Michael Short's body and when police came out and said that we exhumed him because we needed to collect hairs that we failed to collect during the course of the autopsy, it makes you wonder, did they identify some kind of physical evidence that was found on Mary Short? Because keep in mind, they had not recovered Jennifer at this point. Had they, had they found some kind of evidence, some forensic physical evidence on Mary short, Mm -hmm. and then they go, okay, let's compare that to our other victim. Did we find that on our other victim? And that's when they, something alerted them that they had not collected hairs from Michael short's body, right? If that statement from law enforcement to us, the public is true. I wonder if it's as simple as a couple FBI agents lending their time to the case because it got some higher profile and they go, Hey guys, you, you missed this. You, you forgot to collect hair samples off, off this victim. It could be really something that simple. And then back to one of the other suspects that has been publicly named, uh, the man who passed away in 2014 Garrison Bowman. So interestingly enough at this press conference, when asked about Garrison Bowman, Sheriff Perry said, No one could be ruled out until the case is actually solved, but he seemed to point in a different direction when it said, we do have people that this is focused around. We're not at liberty to say who, 
But yes, we do have things that point us in the directions with people, and we are working those leads and have worked them in the past. Perry goes on to say that there are some people that the evidence points to, but they don't have enough to ensure a successful prosecution. He said, quote, I believe there's a couple key people that have information. They know who they are, and they have been approached numerous times. And he said he hopes that they are watching this press conference. There is still a reward for $62,500 leading to the arrest of the suspects. If you have any information, please call the FBI tip line at 1-800-225-5324. That's 1-800-225-5324. Really fascinating case that we covered this week. If you have thoughts and opinions, make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and comment on our blog Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? Thank you, Captain. This week, we are recommending Met Her on the Mountain by Mark Pinsky. In June of 1970, the body of 24-year-old Nancy Morgan was found inside a government-owned car in Madison County, North Carolina. It had been four days since anyone had seen or heard from Nancy. Met Her on the Mountain tells the story of this murder and chronicles Pinsky's efforts to solve the 40-year mystery once and for all check out Metter on the mountain by mark pinsky you can find that great title and many more on our website truecrimegarage.com on the recommended page and until next week be good be kind and don't litter Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.